Travis Dodd. And you're listening to Amato's Fifth Quarter. of Amato's fifth quarter. I'm your host, Dan, and I really hope you have enjoyed the previous two episodes I've had with Dustin Fletcher and Al Green. Hopefully, um, you learn a bit from those those interviews and, and you're inspired and motivated to, uh, to achieve your own goals in life through what these guys have been able to achieve in their life. So that's what this podcast is all about. It's about, you know, sharing stories of of high-profile sports people and and gaining some insights into sort of the highs and lows, the ups and downs of playing professional sport, and just going into some of the stories that may not have been delved into in a whole lot of detail. That's really what I'm trying to achieve here. But for episode three today, we're going to go with my first ever football guest or, or soccer, um, you know, as it's as it's referred to here in Australia. And um, we've got Travis Dodd coming on the show today. So Travis Dodd is a, a, an icon of the A League and. And a favourite son at Adelaide United, he was a part of the inaugural uh, Adelaide United. Didn't didn't play in the NSL that last NSL year in two thousand and three four, but was a part of the inaugural A League Adelaide United squad in two thousand and five six. And he's one of the rare players who played pretty much primarily in Australia. So he never really ventured out out of Australia all that much. Did a little bit in his career, but but we'll save that for the interview. He'll, he gets into it a little bit there. Uh, in the A-League, 185 games, 36 goals, 17 finals, three grand finals. He was a part of the A-League team of the season in 2008-9, and he was also the Adelaide United captain from 2008 to 2011. He's a Salisbury Park boy, just like me, from, uh, from the north of Adelaide, and Grew up loving loving the game of football and eventually made a career out of it. And one thing that he has that no one will ever be able to take away from him is he is the first ever Indigenous Australian to score a goal for the Socceroos. So that was a massive moment for him and and a moment that you know that was iconic in Australian football. 
and we do talk about it in this chat. So really hope you enjoy what Travis Dodd has to say and hopefully um, you know you get something out of this one as well. So let's bring him on without further ado from Adelaide United, Perth Glory and the Australian national team. It is Travis Dodd. That's coming to the ground. Today is gonna be the day that they're gonna throw it back to you. By now you should have somehow realized what you gotta do. I don't believe that anybody. Well, it's flicked in and into the back of the net. Travis Dodge. Adelaide back in front. Dodge for the shot. Oh, and Travis Dodge straight past the goalkeeper. Welcome back to Amato's fifth quarter and today we're very lucky to be joined by an Adelaide United original. It's Travis Dodd. Thank you very much for coming on the show. No worries. Thanks for having me. In the blink of an eye, it's already been seven years since you, you finished playing professional football. What have you been up to in the last seven years and do you miss playing playing football professionally? Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy how quickly time goes by. I was only talking about this the other day. A couple of coaches about when I finished up and... Yeah, I, I can't believe it's actually been seven years. So, uh, what have I been doing since? Uh, well, I, I finished up playing and, and didn't really know what I wanted to do. Didn't have any qualifications or anything. So, uh, ended up uh, getting a job as a finance broker. Um, so, I went into that, dabbled in that for about uh, six or seven months, and then we uh, we left Perth and came back to Adelaide, where we were originally from. So. Um, at that point, I, I was able to get a job at a bank, so I've been working at a bank for the last uh, four years or so, uh, and most recently uh, chucked that in and have gone out breaking again. So uh, I guess that, that transition from football to life after football was uh, somewhat difficult. Didn't really know what I wanted to do, um, but I was fortunate, I guess, during that time to still have football in my life. Uh, I was... Assistant, an assistant coach to an NBL club in in Perth with uh, Bayswater with uh, Chris Coyne, uh, and then you know since I've been back in Adelaide, I had a year playing at the Metro Stars, uh, and then been coaching as an assistant coach for four years uh, with Robbie Saracino there. And uh, this year, uh, I look forward to, to taking the reins as a head coach at Croydon Kings. So, plenty going on. Absolutely. So you're still somewhat involved in football. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's it's hard to I think to give it away completely. Um, you know, I think when I when I finished in Perth, I probably had about four or five months where I had no involvement in football whatsoever, and it's it's hard just to, to have that separation completely from from a game that I've been involved with you know, since I was five years old. So uh, you know, to be around that environment. You know, with the change rooms and the players, although it's different as a coach, uh, it's still great to, to be in that environment. Just doing a little bit of research, and I actually knew this prior, you're from Salisbury Park, aren't you? I am, yes. Well, I am also from Salisbury Park myself, <laughs> and, and uh, you, you know what, I actually remember, you won't remember this, but I definitely do, about 15 years ago, you came to Salisbury Park Primary School, and I know you went there, and I went there, and... 
you actually, you said we were in the library and you said that was back when you went there, that was where you had your disco. So I assume that's like where the gym used to be. Yeah, actually, uh, I do uh, I do remember where the, the discos were. Um, I don't remember it being turned into a library, but uh, no, I, um, I, you know, I always remember one disco from there. Um, they, they played a song and um, it was, uh, am I ever going to see your face again? And as, you know, 12, 13 year olds, I might even be younger, <laughs> um, we've, we've thought we were Anne's pants, like swearing at a school disco in front of teachers, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of my fun memories of uh, Sawtree Park Primary School. Yeah, that's funny. You came in, that was where the library was at, during my time, and I remember you came with Lucas Pantelis. And you, you played for St. Augustine's, didn't you, just across the road? Yes. Yeah. And you also played in Elizabeth? Yes. Yeah. So what were, you, what were your memories like? I mean, I, I've lived in Salisbury. Yeah, nice little little area. But what was your memories growing up in Adelaide's northern suburbs? Oh, look, yeah, I, I knew no different, uh, I guess. Um, so Salisbury Park my, my whole life, well, and, and Elizabeth Vale, to be honest. Uh, so... Yeah, it was, uh, in terms of a, a football environment, I played for St. Augustine's, as you said, in the Elizabethan Districts, uh, and I was there until I was um, 13, I think, uh, and then went to Adelaide City. So, you know, all through my junior development, all I knew was in, um, northern suburbs and, and that kind of stuff. Never never really ventured out um, for anything else, maybe, you know, the Sapsaza and, and that kind of stuff. But... Um, I think it's a it's a very good breeding ground um, in all the suburbs for for young kids, and you know, we've seen a lot of good players come from from that side of town. Um, so, you know, must be doing something right in the in the junior football in the, the grassroots football in northern suburbs. That's true. And what about your debut for Adelaide City at just sixteen years old? And you were probably. Where you, I suppose when you made it per se was when you scored a hat trick after coming on as a substitute in a four-one win over Football Kings. Did you know at that time you had the ability and you could, uh, you were actually a chance to make football a full-time gig? Oh look, I I never really thought about football as a profession and being a professional until I was probably 13, 14 years of age. Um, yeah, I was. I wasn't, I guess, as a kid growing up, I wasn't immersed in, in the game. You know, I didn't, I didn't watch a lot on TV. Uh, I didn't know a lot about you know, the players overseas and, and that kind of stuff. So uh, I just went about, played and you know, hung out with my mates afterwards. So uh, you know, just when I went to, to Adelaide City, um, I made a couple of state teams and then you know, made the decision to focus solely on uh, soccer over baseball which I also played at the time uh, oh, right. and you know, around 14 I thought well maybe I can give this a real crack and you know, I was able to, to progress and you know, make the young Australian teams the Joeys I think it was when it was around that time you know, around 16 17 where you know, I thought well, maybe I can have a real crack at this um, it's also you know, the time I was signed to Adelaide City um, in the National League as a actually signed as a 15 year old but played when I was 16 and I guess from there it's, it's where you think well uh, maybe I've got a real opportunity to, to have a crack at this I have to say my my ambitions were uh, and expectations were a lot higher than 
I guess, where I ended up. I always saw myself uh, playing at Manchester United and uh, and being a millionaire like David Beckham, mm. but clearly that didn't happen. But uh, still had a uh, a successful career, I think, and um, fulfilling. And yeah, I was uh, very very happy to to achieve what I did. So you spent a bit of time after Adelaide City in Newcastle and Parramatta before you went overseas. As you said, was your goal to go overseas. You played in Malaysia and Greece, and you scored in the UEFA Cup against Udinese. What are your yep. What are your memories from playing overseas? Yeah, look, I guess uh, my first in in Malaysia. Um, that was uh, as a result of the, the NSL finishing up, uh, folding. Um, played played for Parramatta in that last year, and uh, we played in the grand final. And I, I, that was a, a star-studded team that year that I played there. And it's, um, that was the first of five grand finals that I lost, um, unfortunately. But uh, Ante Milicic, who's the, the MacArthur Rams coach now, um, was, was playing with him and, and he was looking to go to Malaysia um, for um, Johor FC. Johor had two two teams uh, in the city. Um, there was a, a bit of a, a fight about which team would go to, so he put my name forward and, and I went over there. Uh, it was a it was a very different experience um, going into a different culture and uh, I mean even different environment in terms of the weather and that kind of stuff. We were training at six six thirty every morning and and I was done by nine. So I think it's fair to say that I didn't I didn't really treat that league with the respect that it deserved uh, and you know didn't look after myself as I probably should have. Um, in the end, I only stayed for three months because I uh, didn't get along with the coach who happened to be Australian. Um, but we just had some, I guess, fundamental differences uh, and I ended up coming home and the, the opportunity then came up to go for a trial in Greece. So I went over there uh, and I guess the three months I'd spent in Malaysia hadn't really prepared me for, for a trial in Europe, but uh, I somehow managed to... to Get myself a contract after a four-day trial, uh, and I and I signed for Panunios in the first division. So, yeah, that was a, an amazing experience. You know, the the difficulty in going to a another foreign country, uh, and particularly Greece, was that you know, a lot of people had told me that you know, be careful. You know, you're not going to get paid and all that kind of stuff. But I was a, a young, naive Aussie thinking that it wasn't going to happen to me, uh, and unfortunately, it did. Uh, so, I uh, was there for, for about six months, um, had issues getting payments uh, for my wages, had uh, had family issues. My wife was pregnant with our second child, her father had passed away suddenly. So, it was a whole host of things that had just conspired and all come together and, uh, and unfortunately uh, led us to, to make the decision to come back to Australia. But... You know, to, to be in Europe and to play in uh, a UEFA Cup qualifier and scoring that and and then playing the UEFA Cup afterwards was it was amazing. Uh, I got to play against Newcastle United. Um, I played against Alan Shearer. Oh, that's that's just crazy. Um, you know, to to be on the same park as him and look at players that play with play against players that you've watched on TV that's uh, it was surreal um, so yeah it was a, a great experience uh, ended on a sour note unfortunately but um, you know had things uh, been differently I would have loved to have tried and stuck it out um, 
but ultimately that gave me the opportunity to to come and forge my career back in Australia with the A League. Yeah, interesting insight. So, did you ever gain significant interest overseas after that experience? Because you only after you came back from Greece, you you stayed in Australia until your retirement. Yeah. So, yeah. I guess the short answer is no. Um, during our Asian Champions League campaign with Adelaide United, um, there were agents that were talking to me about um, interest in Asia. Uh, ultimately, that obviously never materialised into to anything. But uh, you know, being part of the Asian Confederation would have been in those early days. It would have been great to to get that opportunity to to go there to to try and I guess it's twofold. It's they're good leagues in Asia. And I was looking uh, talking about clubs in Japan. Uh, very good quality of uh, players and and the league. And I guess importantly the the money was potentially better in Asia as opposed to what it was in Australia. So it was an opportunity to, you know, try and consolidate your, your finances in the, the last few years of your career um, to, to set yourself up. But uh, unfortunately, none of that happened. Uh, and yeah, I went from Adelaide to, to Perth to, to finish my career. And, um, you know, I... I guess the circumstances around me leaving uh, Adelaide were disappointing, but you know, being in Perth was fantastic, uh, and I've you know, made a lot of good friends both on and off the park with the, the players and you know, friends that we we still keep in touch with now. So uh, they say everything happens for a reason, and you know, the the Perth venture um, you know brought us a lot of new friendships. And what about that first season with Adelaide United? I mean, you were the best team in the league under John Cosmina. You finished top, three wins more than the eventual champion, Sydney. But you go out in straight sets to Sydney, 4-3 in aggregate. And then you lose to Central Coast in the in the preliminary final. What do you think went wrong? Because I think a lot of people probably see that as one of, I guess, for want of a better term, one of the biggest chokes in A-League history. To finish top, be the best team, and then not even make the grand final. Yeah, look, uh, I think unfortunately it's it's one of those things, um, you know, and that's the the pitfalls of finals football, I guess, is that you know you can be the best team all year, uh, but you know when it comes to the finals, it's you know it, it can come down to one game, uh, and unfortunately that's that's what happened. No, you know, that's what is that? It's you know fourteen years ago, I think now, yeah. um, and you know, I struggle to, to remember some of those games and, uh, and and what happened exactly. But you know the I think from in regards to a playing group um, and and what Cosy did really well with that playing group was you know he brought resolve to that team. He he brought that team together and you know we played for each other and we played for Cosy. Um, look, I don't think technically, you know, as as a whole, that that we were the best squad in the league. But what we didn't have, I guess, in that that technical ability, uh, I guess, you know, as a, as a whole, we made up for it with heart and desire. Uh, and yeah, I think you know the the leaders that we had at the time with you know, Carl Beard, uh, Ross Aloisi. Uh, Michael Valkanis, you know, having those types of 
leaders and you know uh, mentors for the younger players uh, certainly went a long way in, in us achieving what we did that season. Quarter time break here on A5Q. If you missed last episode with me and our green, then what are you doing? Go back and listen to it. It was an absolutely fantastic episode where the mean machine, our green, takes us into his life, growing up in the Bronx, coming up through the ranks, making it here in Australia, playing professional ball for the West Adelaide Bearcats, Adelaide 36ers, and the Newcastle Falcons. I'm not going to give anything away. Go back and check it out. Oh, actually, here's a little snippet of it. You know what I mean? That it's, it's a different thing when you hear a tone of someone saying, I hate, it comes from the, that's coming from the heart. I hate you. I hate you. Right? And you can see it in their eyes. Right? That's the difference. That's the difference. And that from here to there. You know, and, and like I said, when I think about it, I always say, I think my lucky stars, I went to a school, I, and then the crazy thing about it, me and him both went to two places where they hang black people, because I went to LSU, LSU was where the KKK basically started, and um, Bernard King went to uh, Tennessee, and that's, that both of them are, are redneck places, but that's where we played our college basketball, so you do get over it, but it just makes you more aware of it. If that sounded good, well, you ain't seen nothing yet. Go back into the archives and check it out. But in the meantime, let's get back to Travis Dodd. And what about, because, I mean, I haven't really heard a lot of stories from this time, but what about when Romario came to Adelaide United? He played four games for the club, scored a goal, obviously a world-class player. Allegedly scored a goal. Uh, Yeah, well... (laughs) Looking at the re- I did actually watch the replay and prep for this interview, and I'm pretty sure it came off his foot. But <laughs> did he have a relationship with the players? And, and yeah, what was your experience of, of Romario and his time at Adelaide? I am very happy to be here again in Adelaide. And I have fun with the team, his progress, and I'm focusing to score goal here. To help the team win and to close the gap uh, in Melbourne. And I hope to, to do my best here. And that's, that's it. Neat uh, footwork this time by Spaniolo. Brilliant work by Jason Spaniolo. Fumble by Comic and bundle over the line by who else but Romario? Finally! Number 987 of his glittering career, and the Romario experiment finally ends in smiles. Absolutely unbelievable. Look at the play from Spaniolo. Positive goes around Eagleton, makes another challenge, comes inside Jade North, and there's Romario. It definitely comes off the bottom of his foot. I was just interested to see the replay, but that's definitely his goal. Yeah, look, it's um, it was great to. I guess from from a, a football perspective, it was great to have somebody of that calibre around us. You know, having done what he'd done uh, was amazing. So there's no doubt about that. You get a bit awestruck when you when you have a player of that calibre come and train with you. Did it work? That experiment, most definitely not. Not from a footballing perspective. Um, it probably, in all honesty, derailed our season because 
think we were going along quite nicely up until then. But yeah, when you bring someone like Romario uh, into the squad, he has to play. You know, for a team that's got good momentum, you start trapping it by taking players out you know, that are in form. Uh, that that you know, changes things up. It changes your momentum, and I I think you know, that that's certainly what happened. Uh, don't get me wrong, I respect Mark Romario for for what he did as a player, no doubt about it. But you know, in all honesty, when he came to Australia, um, he, he clearly was at the tail end of his career, and you know, we didn't see you know, the, the best of it. There's no doubt about that. And did it impact us as a team? Well, yeah, it did. Uh, and I don't think we really recovered after that short stint. Um, you know, having Romario around from a publicity perspective in you know, gaining promotion for the club overseas, outstanding and money well spent. But from a footballing perspective, uh, it certainly didn't work. I mean, it was obviously to put eyeballs on the A-League. It wasn't because Adelaide United needed him. No, no, obviously not. It's, you know, to, I think he was 40 at the time and, you know, you say he's 40 at the time. Del Piero was, I don't know how old he was when he came out, but yeah, he was he was class when, when he was here. But you know, he was here for a couple of years. Romario you know, was here for four games. You know, how serious is he going to take it? You know, is he here just for a holiday? You don't know. You don't know these things. You, you hope that you know, he comes out and you know, he wants to put in his best performances um, for, the, for the times on the park. But... Um, you know, a four-game sting, just, it, it's, you know, from a footballing perspective, it's not a worthwhile exercise, particularly with the team going as well as it was at the time. So, just one more on Romario. Did you have much to do with him? Like, what was he like in the locker room and stuff like that? Was he, did he form any relationships or anything like that? Uh, I'm not too sure, to be honest. I certainly, I didn't. Um, yeah, he, he brought his own entourage over. So, you know, he had his own physio, his own... You know, everything like that medical team so you know he'd come out the training a bit later than everyone else and you know have his physio doing his warm-up and his stretches and, and that kind of stuff so from that perspective um yeah it's probably a bit difficult um he, he did, i won't say segregated but he was i guess wasn't immersed within the, the team environment and, and that kind of stuff um and i mean look he was, he was only here for a month yeah it's hard to i guess form strong relationships so you know, whether or not the, the other boys did um to be honest I'm, I'm not 100% sure okay well what about the year well it was the year after the 2007 grand final and now that's known in South Australia as the darkest day in the club's history really I mean 6-0 lost to Melbourne victory Archie Thompson five goals best on ground what when was it during that game when you realized this was not going to plan because Adelaide United had a good team that season with Aloisi and Viet and Valkanis, yourself, Costanzo, Alagic. What what went wrong that day? Whatever you're watching from around the world, the UK, the Americas, Asia, Africa or Australia, welcome to Melbourne and to Telstra Dome. This is the Hyundai A-League Grand Final 2007. Two clubs from two states who have as intense a rivalry as any in the country. Fred also darts towards the near post. Thompson! Well, the ball is just glued to his boots and glued, it seems, to the back of the net. It's five for Archie Thompson. 
Well, this game's going to a lot of places around the world. There might be a few clubs that are watching this performance from Archie Thompson. Now they can all smile. The final whistle blows. Victory is ours. Proclaim the banner made by the Blue and White Brigade. And now their premonition has come true. They've been the best off the field all season. And now they've proved it where it really matters. Melbourne, the football capital of Australia. And the champions of Australia. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you your champions, Melbourne Victory! Oh, look, I think there was, there was multiple things. I think uh, that was the game that... Um, and because he was suspended that game, I, I think from memory, um, you know, we played uh, Central Coast in the, the prelim final and won that on penalties the week before uh, uh, Highmarsh. And because he ran out after the, the game and gave the, the referee a bit of a spray and got himself suspended. Um, you know, so we were, I think we were up against it from, you know, from the third, well, before we'd even kicked off. Not being able to have a coach on the sideline, um, yeah, I think there've been a couple of changes um, within the, the starting eleven. So uh, Greg Owens, I think, might have been playing at, at left back. Uh, but I guess the what kills you in a game is is having a send off, uh, and unfortunately Ross got sent off uh, in the first half. Uh, you know, so your skipper gets sent off. Uh, and we're 3-0 down at half-time, uh, I think it's it's fair to say that this game's done and dusted. So I guess you'd go out you know, in the second half to to try and limit the damage and, and not get embarrassed. And unfortunately, um, we couldn't do that. And, yeah, we got, we got touched up quite significantly. And, you know, it was a, it was a really difficult, I guess, game to be part of. You know, you're... You, you do a whole year's work um, for this one game, and you know to, to go out there and get a grubbing like that. It's it's just the ultimate disappointment. Because that was like thinking back to that time, it was almost like a world class event because it was at the Marvel Stadium, which is was back then the Telstra Dome. There was fifty five thousand people. John Howard was there. It was a massive sort of. It really felt almost like AFL Grand Final like atmosphere, and. To go to go down six nil was was that really did it affect the group in terms of like was it really embarrassing did did players go into their shell like what was the aftermath like of that performance? It's embarrassing. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, it's you you go to into a grand final with an expectation that you know it's going to be a close game and that you know each team's going to have a chance, but uh, I don't think there there's been such a one-sided grand final ever since that um, and I guess there won't be for some time uh, what happened there was there was I guess there was a fallout afterwards there's no doubt about it um, you know I think uh, I don't know if that was players got reprimanded after the game I don't know for comments in the media um, but yeah there was certainly certainly a fallout afterwards it's it's also hard from a playing perspective, you know, knowing that that's the last game of the season and, you know, you've got such a long time to, to think about it and to try and put it right, you know, until you start pre-season again. But, you know, look, I, I think it's, uh, 
it, it's one of those things where it is football. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a one-off game, um, and whilst it's a, a grand final, you've got to get on with uh, your career and, and your life. And you know, the, the world keeps turning. You know, kids are still going to play up the next day, and you know, still be naughty, and you still got to worry about that kind of stuff. So, uh, whilst it was disappointing, there's no doubt about it. You, you've got to have some perspective on, um, you know, what it is, what it actually means, and yes, it's our job. And yes, fans are passionate about their teams, but it is a job, and you know, there are more important things to, to to focus on once the the final whistle blows as well. Good perspective. Well, I'll take you a few months forward to better times. The 2007 Champions League. You're in Group G. You only win two games, and you're knocked out in the group stage. But that, to a lot of United supporters is known for you being the first Australian to score a hat-trick in an AFC Champions League. Do you remember that game? Travis Dodd trying to make a run into the box, and he did well, Travis Dodd. Very well indeed. And Adelaide United opened the scoring. The man who scored on match day two has done it again. The Rowdy slipping it through to Dodd. They opened right up, and Travis Dodd... Well, it wasn't the best shot in the world, but he's got a double tonight. Santos letting it go right past him. Against the decision, here's Travis Dodd on a hat-trick. And mark it down, Travis Dodd. Route one from the keeper, Robbie Bayes gets the assist. But what a night for Travis Dodd. Yeah, I do. Um, that was against uh, Bing, Bing Tan Long Air, uh, Vietnamese side. Um, you know, it's, it's funny because we'd heard that you know, the, the Vietnamese players, the team, we were eating KFC the day before the game and all that kind of stuff. So I just oh, wow. really, really living it up in town and you know, <laughs> heard, heard rumours that the, the goalkeeper was going out and buying gloves, goalkeeping gloves on like the day of the game or something, the like, day before the game and, and stuff like that. But you know, when you're when you're out there and you're playing that game, people have said to me, the boys, I don't know, players or people with post game said, oh, you know, but it was only but it was only a Vietnamese team and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, you've got to, somebody has to go out and score the goals. Uh, and you know, we won that game 3-0 and uh, I was fortunate to, to score the three goals. Uh, I think probably the thing that I regret about that game were my celebrations. Um, <laughs> I watched the replay we, yesterday. Yeah, we... we, we because we were travelling so much, you know, we'd always be watching movies and, and talking about celebrations and... And uh, I can't dance to save my life at the best of times, but um, you know we've been watching a lot of dance movies, and you know, I, I tried to pull some moves from a from a movie we've been watching at the time, and it's it's pretty ordinary, uh, I guess. Um, when you when you watch a movie play, and I do cringe a bit um, <laughs> each time I see it, but you know, to, again, it's uh, you, you've got to go out, you've got to score the goals, somebody's got to do it. Uh, doesn't matter what team it's against. Um, I was able to get a hat trick and, and get the match ball, and it was uh, a great experience. Yeah, nice, good stories there. But what about the year after 2008 Asian Champions League under Aurelio Vidmar? Real underdog story. You're the first A League club to even advance to the knockout stage at the time, let alone go all the way to the final. Looking back 13 years later, and I, I've had Eugene Galekovic on the show, and I asked him this same question. Do you look back at this that time with pride that you actually got all the way to the end, or is it more disappointing that 
you couldn't actually win it. Right there, Gamba Osaka are the new champions of Asia, and they've done it in style. Two goals on the night, five goals overall, as Adelaide United have been comprehensively outplayed by the pace, the skill, the mobility of this wonderful side. It's a night of celebration for Gamba, a night of satisfaction for Japan, and a victory for the football offered by a team and a coach who play the game the way it should be played. And now finally, it is our honour to welcome once again His Excellency Mohammed bin Hamal, the President of the Asian Football Confederation, to present the trophy to the champions. Ladies and gentlemen, the winner of the AFC Champions League 2008, Gamba Osaka. It's a huge pride because um, what we were up against that whole campaign was unbelievable. Uh, we're coming up against teams that their, their wage budget was, you know, five, six, seven times what we were getting paid as a as a group. Um, yeah, I think I think there was uh, yeah, you're looking at Bunyid uh, Core from uh, Uzbekistan. You know, Rivaldo was playing in that in that squad. I think uh, I think he would have been earning more than than the entire squad. Adelaide United, but yeah, um, yeah, you're probably you, right. If you look back even to the group games, so the last group game we were in Shandong, um, who we played before, so you know we needed to pick up a, a point to, to qualify, and absolutely up backs against the wall type stuff. You know they're hitting the post, uh, you know, goal mouth scrambles, uh, and you know winning or picking up a point, and, and you know just to qualify for that, it was a, a huge achievement. You know, uh, people don't know that you know Lucas Pantelis was was grieving you know um, you know stuff with his family, and it was a huge effort for him to to try and put all that aside to to go out and you know be a professional footballer for the day, uh, you know, and put all the other focus the, the other stuff that's going on outside of his life you know behind him or you know out of his mind to focus on a game of football. So. You know, for, for players to do that kind of stuff, it was a huge achievement. And when you talk about uh, playing groups and you know, when we discussed that first year of the A-League, uh, you know, that, that 2008 squad, uh, in terms of togetherness and, and being there for each other, um, you know, one of the, the best squads that I've been, been involved with. We, I think we played Kashima Antlers in the, the quarterfinal. You know, going there again to a team that you know, was absolutely flying, um, you know, getting away with a, a result there, one nil result there, and uh, one all sorry result um, was able to score in that one. Um, you know, we we come back home uh, and you know, Robbie Cornthwaite gets us uh, gets us in front, and we we win that one, you know, two one. So huge huge results. Um, you know, when Bunyid Court came to Adelaide, they apparently rang the club and said, you know, where do we park our jet, you know, our private plane? You know, so yeah, wow. that's, the type, that's the type of stuff we were up against. Um, you know, they they were having private private flights, private jets, um, you know, business class, airfares. Uh, you know, you'd see when, when teams like Kashima come to, to Adelaide, they'd bring a cast of thousands, you know, whether it's playing playing support staff and everything like that and 
not that we were on bare bones, but yeah, it's uh, it was a, a very tough competition to to be part of from a financial standpoint because the costs were quite significant. Uh, and whilst the, the the AFC did subsidise you know, some of it, it's it is potentially a, a loss making exercise for the club. So you know we're you try and do things as best you can without blowing the budget um, you know, because you want to keep the club viable and, and you want to keep it going. But you know, some of the travel that we had to do was it was just ridiculous. And at the time, we got no, no favours at all from the FFA. Um, so you know, an example of that was uh, we played Bunyad Corps away for the second league. We'd qualified. Uh, I think we might have played on a, on, a, on a Wednesday. We flew out on Thursday, landed in Australia on Friday, and then played Perth Glory at home on Saturday. You know, so That's crazy. It, it was it was ridiculous um, to, to have that expectation, particularly with the squad that we had, because uh, it's not a, you don't go over with a big squad. So, you know, you basically got your whole squad travelling to, to, to Asia, and then you've got your whole squad coming back. So you know you try and you try and rotate players as best you can, but you know to be expected to to play a game you know, less than twenty four hours after you've just landed back in the country was crazy. But you know the the type of playing group we had at the time was phenomenal, and we actually went out and won that game against Perth. So you know that's the the type of um, you know, team we had, and you know doing things like that. Uh, with our backs against the wall, we just kept just kept building our confidence and you know getting us to that that point where we feel we're invincible. That's an amazing insight, and I mean I've had as I said I had Eugene on and he said that the the game against Bunyard Core where you well the series sorry where you won three one on aggregate that was your final because you obviously played a very wealthy Bunyard Court side coached by Zico of course their marquee player Rivaldo. To win that series alone, I personally would would consider that certainly one of, if not the single best Adelaide United game. Period. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's um, took a goosebumps thinking about that game. Uh, to be honest, and uh, the the crowd, the just the way that we went about and, and got that result at home in particular uh, was was fantastic. Uh, and then to go go away from home. Um, you know, we lost one 0 but ultimately we made a final. Uh, you're right; it was our that was our grand final. Unfortunately, um, yeah, I think we went into the final. Eugene was actually under an injury cloud. I think he was having some groin issues, so um, yeah, it was touch and go on, on whether he's going to play. But Gamba Osaka were they were an, an absolute jet team. You know, with uh, uh, some of the players that they had, uh, they were. Yeah, they were unbelievable. Um, you know, we, we played our, our final the, the, the couple of weeks before and unfortunately went to, to Japan for the first leg and um, you know, we got a, got a bit of a touch-up. You know, 3-0 result away from home was always going to be tough, but you know, I think coming for the home leg, uh, you know, being what we'd been through for that whole campaign, there was... There was genuine belief within that playing group that we were still in this tie, 
uh, you know, three nil, three goals at home. You know, we'd done it two weeks or three weeks before against Bunyip Core, so we knew that we could do it. Uh, and I think you know, we started that game, went out, you know, all guns blazing, uh, and unfortunately, I think we copped a goal, an early goal within the first. Uh, you know, 10 minutes and it was around eight or nine minutes and you know that really took the wind out of our sails unfortunately and uh, I think at that point you know, against a team like that it's you know, it's done and dusted unfortunately but um, you know, all in all it was a phenomenal experience and it was great to, to, to be there um, huge pride um, to your first question huge pride to, to have gotten to the final and be the first Australian team to have done that because you know, I genuinely thought after that that, that no team would do that um, for a very, very long time. Uh, and as it turned out, um, the wonder is when, when I won it a few years later. Referee says, fellas, take a break. It's half time. Hey, everyone. I just want to say a very big thank you to those who have engaged with A5Q. I really do appreciate all the support. I trust you're enjoying delving into all things Australian sport and hopefully you will continue to stick around. It would be a massive help if you could please do me a solid, subscribe to the podcast and hit me up with a rating and a review. Gaining as much positive feedback as possible helps boost my visibility and it allows the podcast to be seen by other Australian sports tragics out there. Now enough of that, let's get back into it because the second half of A5Q is about to get underway. Looking back at it now, and, and as I said, I've watched, I've watched the documentary before. I've watched it a million times, but I watched it again last night. Some of the living conditions you had to adjust to when you travelled. Aurelia Vidma was saying it was very hot when you travelled. The grass was thick and very high. And you mentioned in the, in the documentary, Ange Costanzo bought an Italian coffee maker and you gave it to the staff. And instead of putting it on a stove, they put it on a frying pan and turned the gas on which I thought was hilarious. Yeah, that was in China, I reckon. Um, yeah, because uh, you know, one thing that we did love was uh, going for a coffee and you know, going to, to a place like Vietnam and, and China, uh, very difficult. I guess the, the thing that you do worry about as well is, you know, are you going to get sick, you know, this kind of stuff. So you try and you try and take as much stuff from home as possible. And it was funny, yeah, that one in China, um, they... We gave it to them. They had absolutely no idea what to do with it. And we've gone out. They, we've gone out to the kitchen to see what they were doing, and you know, they had it had it on the frying pan. So yeah, it was quite quite amusing and that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, uh, Vietnam. Yeah, you, you rock up to the pitch, and I mean, I think we talked about it being dinosaur grass or something because it just like the the, the leaves of the grass was so thick and so big. It was just like a lot of stuff that you'd never seen before. And, there were frogs on the pitch at one stage, so all of this is is new stuff for us. You know, we're going into a uh, an intercontinental competition, which nobody's done before. So we experience everything for the first time, uh, and it's all all new to us. So I guess a lot of that playing group as well uh, hadn't played abroad. So you know, we were, yeah, I guess it was it was a novelty because we were doing it for the first time, but. It's, it's something that you do have to deal with because you're there for a job and you're there. And, and I guess when you go to places like Vietnam and Thailand, there's an expectation that you win. There's an expectation that you're an Aussie team, you're Aussie big, strong lads, and 
you're there at muscle on and you get the result. So, you know, going in with that, that expectation as well can be difficult. So those sort of conditions with the grass and having chicken just in a pot of oil and stuff like that, did that distract you or was it more you just, it made the experience what it was, if that makes sense? Like, it, you know, yeah. that was how it was yeah. and no, you just laugh it yeah, off. Exactly. Um, no, look, it's not a distraction. Um, it's, I guess, you, you deal with it and, and you get on with it as best you can. But more often than not, yeah, the, everything was generally okay in terms of food and, and that kind of stuff. Um, Uzbekistan in particular, uh, the club, went to the to the measure of getting a chef and taking our own chef over so uh, our chef went um a few days earlier went and checked everything out i think i think we took food over as well like canned um vegetables and that kind of stuff to so that the chef could deal with to make sure that um you know he got over there he cleaned it he cleaned the kitchen from top to bottom himself uh, when he arrived over there um you know so the club went to, to those lengths to try and um, you know, accommodate us as a playing group as best they could. Um, you know, but ultimately, yeah, you work with what you've got and you know, the times, the rest of the times when we didn't have a chef, you know, I guess you just be cautious in you know, what you're having to do and, and make sure that you're there for to, to focus on the game. You go there and do the job and then come out again. And what about the 2008 FIFA Club World Cup? Because... You got in because Gambra Saka won the league, so you assumed the host spot. You lost the quarterfinal to Gambra Saka 1-0. But had you have won that game, you would have played Manchester United, who at the time still had Cristiano Ronaldo and Wayne Rooney. Do you ever think, gee, what an experience that would have been to play against Manchester United? Oh, absolutely. I kicked myself. Um, yeah, I guess it was at that time when, uh, you know, Agents were talking to me about going to, to Japan and that kind of stuff. So, you know, I'm thinking in the back of my head that this is going to be another great opportunity on a on a big stage to to put my best foot forward and, and potentially you know, get a get a transfer of here and get a deal um, overseas. That game against Gamba, uh, I kicked myself because I think I played reasonably well that game and I had a, a really good opportunity. I was one on one with the, the goalkeeper. And, uh, I wasn't able to finish it and. We played, we played well that game, uh, and to lose uh, as close as we did, it was so frustrating. Um, especially when you know what's on the end of it. And whilst you know, it's, it, uh, I guess it's it's a serious competition. Uh, but you know, to, to play against Manchester United, who were the team that I've supported since I was seven years old, uh, when I got when my mum got me uh, a Manchester United strip. Uh, to come, to be able to potentially come up against them was phenomenal. Um, ultimately, it didn't work out, but um, you know, post post that game, uh, you know, we we actually did get to see Cristiano. <laughs> there was a there was a few of us. There was a group of us that um, you know, we always hung out, and that was myself, uh, Mickey Valcarnas, Andrew Costanzo, Lucas Pantelis, uh, Mark Birgitti was in that group, uh, and I think. I think Robbie Bage was uh, was at the club. I don't know, maybe not. But um, yeah, we we had a connection to Manchester United through Mark Birgitti. Actually, he knew the goalkeeper coach. So uh, we we went to the hotel, to Manchester United Hotel, 
uh, you know, we all had our player passes, so uh, there's a huge crowd waiting out in front of the hotel, and we showed our passes to get in uh, to the hotel, and um, Mark's uh, tried to get in touch with the goalkeeper coach. As it turned out, the, the bus was about to leave um, for Manchester United, and all the players were on the bus, so you know, we've sort of run over to the bus and, and waiting to, to Ronaldo-like fans. Um, you know, by the time we got back to the hotel, our own hotel, um, you know, a delegate that was looking after Manchester United had, had reported us to to our club saying that we'd, we'd been to their hotel and tried to to meet the players and we got in a fair bit of trouble from, from Adelaide United. But my thought at the time was that you know, we're around world-class players that potentially we're never going to be in this position again. So you know, the chance to... The, the off chance to meet Cristiano Ronaldo was was too good to pass up, so you know, we thought stuff that it's worth uh, it's worth uh, getting into trouble for. In that moment, you become more a fan than a player. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. I mean, there's we the boys are actually Sasha Ogonovsky, I say, he's taken the piss out of us afterwards, saying, you know, calling us fans and all that kind of stuff, and you know, it was. It was we saw the funny side of it after, but ultimately it was is true. You know, we all went out and bought Man United shirts there because we wanted we wanted him to sign our shirts. Um, you know, we were fans. He is he's a player that was doing unbelievable things, and you know, again, you watch him on TV, uh, and then to have him right there uh, is is just a, a surreal experience. Yeah, that's an amazing story. But now I'll take you back to the A-League. So the year after 2009, again, you make the grand final against Melbourne Victory, again at the Telstra Dome in front of 53,000 fans. This time it's a very close game. Adelaide United, you play really well, but a Tom Pondelyak goal in the 60th minute means two grand final losses in three seasons. You seemed very dejected after the game. What do you think it was on this occasion that you, you couldn't get over the line? The final whistle has blown, and Melbourne Victory have won the A-League Championship for a second time. The home faithful can now proclaim victory is ours. They've completed the Triple Crown, pre-season cup, Premier's plates, and now the grand final in one season. The antagonism continues until the end. Adelaide, the bridesmaids again, and for the second time in three years... Melbourne Victory are the champions of Australia. Oh, look, there's that, that game, uh, I took that loss a lot harder than, than the 6-0 one. Um, you know, 6-0, you, you realise that you were never a chance of winning that game. Uh, you were just beaten by the better team on the day. Uh, you know, this, this second grand final, what, what really... Uh, irked me and, and annoyed me and you know, even to this day still annoys me is the fact that uh, Cristiano got sent off um, yeah. again for an alleged elbow on, I think it was uh, Reddy Vargas. Um, yeah, that was a massive moment in the game. Yeah, and that's that, that change, again, that changes the complex of the game. You know, that, I think that was in the first you know, 15 minutes or so. So you know, we play a majority of the game with 10 players, um, I think that game, we still had some chances to, to get ahead. Um, you know, we were hanging on you know, as best we could, and to concede 
you know, the way that we did at the time we did, that's that's heartbreaking stuff. Um, so when I look back and, and think about the differences in the grand finals, um, that one really hurts because we were a real chance of getting something out of that game. And uh, unfortunately, you know, referees make decisions that influence games. You know, was it a red card? I definitely don't think so. Um, but that's something that, that will never change and uh, the, the result sticks and it is what it is. So it's, uh, it's one of those things that you just have to grin and bear it. I, I guess it would hurt more because the fact you've missed out on that opportunity and you don't get that opportunity again for another 12 months at least. Well, it's, it's not only that. It's you know, we're fortunate, I guess, at that stage to have played two grand finals in three years. But you'll come across players and uh, you, you'll come across players that have never played a grand final in their lives. They'll go their whole career and never play a grand final. Now, to play two grand finals and, you know, as I said, the first one you know, was, was a non-event, but the second one, to get to that grand final and have the result influenced by a referee decision, that's that's tough to take because you know, there's nothing you can do as a player to, to fix that. You know, we can't play better. You know, we weren't outplayed. We were just... Uh, unfortunately down to 10 men and we got broken down at the end um, so yeah it's, uh, it's a really tough one to take and um, yeah, to, to have lost two and three years uh, I guess at that point you, know, you start to think as a, as a player I think are we ever going to win one um, you know, are we a team that chokes because you know, we get to the big stage and we can't we can't win it. We can't. We can't win a Champions League final. We didn't win a Champions League final. We, we made it there and we couldn't win. We'd lost a uh, an A League Grand Final, uh, and now we lost another A League Grand Final. Because yeah, that that group with with Aloisi and Viet, Valkanas, Costanzo, Aligic, very unlucky to not actually get some reward for their dominance. I mean, you won the Premiership in the first season, but I think in Australia, winning a, the Grand Final is more important, you know, than finishing yeah. top. That's oh, the way yeah, Australian, yeah, look, that's, all Australian sport, it's it's is like that. Yeah, look, and look, we've grown up with it, um, and I guess it's, that's the expectation is that you know, it's great to finish top, but people don't remember who finished top. People remember who won the grand final, um, and you know, at the end of the day, having having lost five grand finals during my career it's it's the one thing that I, would, I just wish could have could have happened differently um, you know to have won one grand final because you know, it's the that's the ultimate goal in, in your playing career is to to win titles and uh, unfortunately I wasn't uh, lucky enough to to be one of those players what about a couple of years later in 2011 when you make the move to Perth glory um, and and you can go in this however however deep you want to but what was the reason behind that you're a born and bred Adelaide boy what what made you go over to Perth? Adelaide United coach Rennie Coolan says a war of words over his captain's future won't distract from the build-up to the club's most important match of the season. Travis Dodd has been strongly linked to a move to Perth Glory. A media report yesterday suggested the Reds are trying to drive Dodd from the club while painting him as a mercenary. 
Yeah, look, um, we had written calling as a coach at the time. He just came in. Um, I didn't feel like I got on that well with him. Um, look, it didn't help. Didn't help my cause. I was injured when he came. Um, I'd had uh, osteoarthritis pubis, so in the pre in the in the off season, I'd had surgery to, to try and rectify that. So I'd missed all of pre season, and you know, I think the first. 10 games maybe so you know I was coming off an injury with a new coach into the last year of my contract um unfortunately it's one of those things um you know I I didn't necessarily like the coach um you know towards the back end of the season when I was playing again regularly and all that kind of stuff um I don't know it's just seemed like there was something off um you know started talking about uh, contracts and, and that going into the final series, um, I had an expectation that that I'd finish my career at Adelaide United. So um, yeah, I was disappointed that it didn't didn't work out. Um, you know, I guess where I I knew that I wasn't going to be at the club was when because you know, I was captain at the time. Um, that Rooney Corlin was was offering the captaincy to, to other players for the following season. I guess I was fortunate that I had really good relationship with all of the players, and and the player in question was was Paul Reed. Actually, came up to me and said, "Mate, goes what's going on? Um, you know, we're talking about contracts next year, and they've offered me the captaincy. You know, what's happening with you?" I said, uh, "I don't know. Well, obviously, I'm not going to be here. So, um, you know, the, the I guess the undermining and the underhanded tactics like that." Uh, we're disappointing. We played in the finals campaign. Um, I'd had a contract offered to me by United. Um, yeah, obviously, at the time I was captain, and you know, I thought I was I was worth more than what they were offering me, which was you know the, the same basically the same contract. Um, I also took issue to the fact that I was offered a, a one year contract at the time, uh, and got told it was because because of my age, because I was thirty one. You know, that was was ultimately extended to a two year contract uh, on offer, but you know, during that I guess during that time I'd, I'd had to look at other options. So uh, I'd spoken to my agent, um, he put the feelers out and, and spoken to, to Ian Ferguson at Perth. Um, initially, you know Perth didn't want to negotiate because they were they genuinely believed that I was just using it as a as a bargaining chip to. To try and get more money out of, of Adelaide United, and you know, I guess the difficulty was that you know, you'd been at the club for, for six years. You're you're the captain of the club, and, and that kind of stuff. People, I guess, assume you're not going to leave, and and maybe Adelaide United at the time assumed I wasn't going to leave as well because you know, my family was settled. But um, you know, I, I guess I'd made my decision during the finals campaign that I was going to go to Perth. Um, because I could see the writing on the wall quite clearly with, with Adelaide United. Uh, and then post-season, you know, we, we get knocked out. Uh, I have a meeting with, with Rennie Coulon, uh and, and our football director, and Rennie told me that they were withdrawing their offer, um, that they weren't going to sign me. So um, I guess the decision was made for me that I wasn't going to be at the club. Uh, and then it was a, it was a no-brainer that... Um, announced that I was going to Perth. So, look, this disappointing set of circumstances, no doubt. But, like I said earlier, the, the opportunity 
go to Perth and the people that I've met and the friends that we've made um, have been fantastic. So I guess from that perspective, it's certainly worked out for the best for us. I'm sorry, but I must take one last break here for three-quarter time. In the coming weeks, we're going to have another episode uh, available for you guys, and it's going to be Brett Maher, Adelaide 36ers, three-time champion, two-time Larry Sengstock medal, 500-plus games for the club, and also uh, an Australian representative at the Olympic Games and the Commonwealth Games as well. Uh, you know, It was great to, to sit down with Brett Maher and, and have a chat with him. Probably would be up there with, with our Green and Mark Davis and, and Daryl Pearce and these sort of guys as... Prob- well, probably in my opinion, the number one Adelaide 36er of all time. And that episode will be available soon. But in the meantime, check out this little snippet. Uh, I think the first one in 98 was uh, a fair bit of relief in there because well, we hadn't won one since 86. So that was 12 years and, and I hadn't won one at all. So to kind of get that first one out of the way, it's like, oh, Thank goodness. Whereas the second one, we kind of enjoyed it a bit more, and it was, um, yeah, just a enjoyment. I think you speak to most people in any sport at any level. One, when you've won a championship, you kind of get a bit of the bug, and yeah, you want to keep winning them. And um, I guess to win two like that, we thought that we were probably going to go on this massive three, four, five championship winning streak. But uh, they're they're a little bit harder to come by than that. Stay tuned because there's more where that came from. Anyway, let's get back to Travis Dodd. The last grand final you played in was 2012. Your first was your first season with Perth Glory. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that is one of the most famous grand finals in the A League. I mean, you met Brisbane Raw right in the middle of their dynasty. There's ten. There's ten minutes left, and you're one nil up. And I know you you came off before this happened, but Bessart Brescia strikes with two goals, and then the most controversial penalty decision in A League history. How how did you see that decision at the time, and now nearly ten years later, how do you do you see that decision to give that a penalty? Snaffled up by Vandenbrink, and then down goes Barisha. Penalty, penalty for Brisbane Roar. Barisha celebrates as though they've won the grand final already. Big decision by the referee. Late late drama again in the grand final at Suncorp Stadium. It'll be the last kick of the grand final and Brisbane will have the chance to seal back-to-back championships. It comes down to a penalty kick. And Barisha scores! And Brisbane Roar have won the grand final. Amazing scenes at Suncorp Stadium. 50,000 fans go wild. Save for 2,000 Perth Glory supporters who will argue black is white, but that should never have been a penalty. It's hard to disagree on the replays, but Bessar Barisha has a brace. And while he has two, surely Ange Postacoglu's side now have back-to-back championships. Yeah, well, you know what, going, going to Perth and then making that, that grand final in the first year that I left, it was like... It was like a vindication for me leaving, and I was like, uh, you know what? That's that's what you get. You know, I'll, I'll make that that leap of faith, I guess. Uh, and you know, you get the opportunity to play another grand final. Um, Brisbane, great team. Um, you know, Thomas Broish, uh, Bessar Barisha, uh, at the peak of their powers. Um, you know, to to go there and and be one nil one nil up in a grand final with. Ten minutes to go. Look, I think 
Fergie took me off uh, around the 80th minute mark. I was I was a bit pissed that he took me off, but you know, at the end of the day, I was knackered as well. And you just pray uh, when you're on the bench and you've come off. You just pray that the team can hold on because you know, we're under the pump massively. Uh, we'd seen what Brisbane could do, you know, coming from the the brink of defeat um, so many times. Um, you know, they score the goal. That that penalty with Borussia and you know Liam Miller, oh mate, that's that just kills you. That is that is an absolute dagger in the heart. You know, from from a, a footballing perspective, um, was there contact? Wasn't there contact? I don't know, man. Like it's you got to be talking millimeters. I think if if VAR was you know reviewing that that decision now, I don't know. I still don't know. Um, if they give it a penalty or not, um, I think what frustrates me is you know, the, the theatrics that that went with it, um, with Brisha making it look like he'd had his leg chopped in half. Um, he, he definitely but, added a bit of mayonnaise to it. Yeah, absolutely. But you know what? If anyone would, if it was if it was Billy Mammoth for us at the other end, or Shane Smeltz uh, for us, then you know. You'd want them to do the same, um, but you know, even even looking at that grand final as well, um, it, it seems like everything that I've been in, you know, the, the two early grand finals, there was Ross Aloisi sent off, then there was Cristiano sent off, then with Smelty, um, he cops a, a stray elbow, you know, early on in the piece, and and is bandaged up like a mummy, so you know, he can't play his best game either. So it just seems like every grand final that I play in. Is is cursed. You know, there's always something controversial that that goes wrong with it. So, uh, yeah, I've never seemed to get on the end of any good decisions in in grand finals. Um, you know, I, <clears throat> I remember after that game, I I was sobbing, I was crying after that game because I think in my heart of hearts I knew that that was going to be the last one that I'd potentially play, um, and that was my last opportunity. So. As it turned out, um, you know, I was right because the following year, unfortunately, uh, uh, I went and did my ACL, and and that brought a a curtain down on my career. Yeah, it was was that two two thousand twelve versus two thousand and nine? Out of those two, which one causes you more distress, I suppose, or or disappointment? Yeah, look, I, I think I think two thousand twelve was. It was, a, it was a tough one to take because, you know, I'm, like I said, I, I thought that was going to be it for me. Um, you know, there will be, there won't be any other opportunities. But 2009, from from a perspective of what it meant, I guess, to a club and you know, to me as a player, because you know, being being involved with the club for so long, um, you know, being my home club, my hometown, you know that. That was that was huge, um, and you know, getting as close as we did, that was that was my biggest disappointment, no doubt, with with Adelaide United um, in two thousand nine. But you know, two thousand twelve hurt just as much because I knew that was that was going to be it for me. And what about when you did your ACL against the victory in two thousand and thirteen? Did you know at that time, or did you have any inkling at the time that was going to be sort of the beginning of the end? And not when I did the injury. Yeah, I, I was, I was again running against Daniel Mullen. Um, you know, I'd gone to, to try and tackle him, and my left leg had got caught between his legs. And you know, I knew something had, 
something was wrong. Um, you know, really sharp, intense pain. Was able to walk off and you know, spoke to the physio. Was able to do some like jogging up and down. We tried to strap it up, but you know, ultimately the decision was made to, to sub me at the time. Um, you know, after the game, and you're laying on the medical bed, getting getting checked over by the doctor and, and the physio, and they they checked for the the ACL. Um, you know, the thing they do, and you know, said at the time that the ACL was intact. They could feel what they call an endpoint. So, you know, they they didn't think it was ruptured, which was great news. Um, but my lateral um, ligament on the outside, they said there's definitely um, too much too much lax there. So um, they they assumed that I was going to require surgery. Uh, so I knew that was going on the cards, but I guess initially the discussions that we'd had that, that after the game was that it would be a three-month injury. Um, you know, you have surgery straight away and then you know, miss miss the first uh, you know month, two months of preseason, and then you know you're back pretty early on for the start of the season. Uh, unfortunately, we got back to to Perth and I had a scan, um, you know, and I'll never forget the. That conversation from the physio, he's, he's called me up uh, at home and he said, oh, you know, so I need you to sit down, mate. So I sat down and, uh, and he told me that whilst I hadn't fully ruptured my ACL, it was uh, it was a partial tear but still required uh, a full reconstruction. Um, that was devastating. That's the, That was the hardest thing to of my whole career because I knew at that point that my career was done uh, and I wouldn't be coming back from it. Uh, the, the difficulty with the injury that I had was because I'd done, because I'd ruptured the, the LCL, the lateral ligament, um, I'd actually pulled it off the bone. So post-surgery, I had to I had to be in a straight brace for three months, um, which meant I couldn't start the, the ACL rehab until three months after surgery. Now, normal ACL, you you know you're bending your leg the day after surgery, and you're walking on it and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, you know, I was I was fully delayed of any type of rehab at all by three months. And you know, last year of my contract as a 33 year old, um, yeah, I just knew that was the end, um, and that was that was really tough to take. Uh, but uh, I guess I had that that year with. With Perth doing my rehab in my contract and you know you come to I guess an acceptance and realization that that this is it so you know the, the final game of the season um, home game of the season at Perth um, walked around the pitch and waved to the fans because I knew that that was it and uh, unfortunately yeah that was it uh, and that's uh, that's your career done and dusted and I'll say in the blink of an eye because that's what I felt like in the end but um, you know, to go out through injury is is cruel, but uh, unfortunately, it happens to to many many players around the world. Yeah, it's definitely not not the way anyone wants to go out. You'd you'd much rather go out in a winning grand final, but <laughs> very few people get to do that. Yeah, that's for sure. One moment that I assume it's a very proud moment for you, and that's playing for Australia and being the first Indigenous man to score for the Socceroos against Kuwait. Uh, do you remember that moment and, and what does that moment mean to you personally? Chepley. Now, Cardi in some space. Can he 
keep the ball in towards the near post. Real chance for Australia. Goal! Travis Dodd of the view for Australia. Aussie Stadium on its feet and Travis Dodd gets the goal. But 33,000 fans have waited all night to see. Yeah, I definitely remember that. Um, it, was just, it was our first year in the Asian Confederation. Um, we were going through the Asian Cup qualifiers and the the games that we got to play, or the game that I got to play, it, it fell outside of an international window. So uh, Graham Arnold, who was um, coaching the soccerers then, uh, had to put uh, a team together based in Australia, based from Australia. And uh, and I was fortunate enough to, to be part of that group. Um, you know, walking out even that night uh, uh, in the stadium in front of 33,000 fans, uh, I had, had my wife and kids there. Um, that, that's unbelievable. Uh, you know, two years before or a year before, and you'd go to you playing your games against Fiji, Vanuatu, and and those kinds of teams. And the biggest game that you got was against New Zealand. So, you know, for me to be able to to end a debut like that, um, awesome. Um, you know, to be able to score on debut, uh, it's unforgettable. Um, you know, I still remember. Uh, David Carney receiving the through ball going to the byline and, and cutting the ball back to to almost the penalty spot. Um, remember just making that run through and uh, yeah, placing the ball, just passing the ball into the net. Um, scoring a goal for your country is uh, that's one of the best things you can do in your career. Um, and the the sheer excitement and adrenaline and I guess jubilation that you get is is unbelievable. So um, unbelievable night. Um, I always feel that I should have scored two goals uh, that night, um, but I'll take an assist for Petrovsky, Sasha Petrovsky. Uh, had a shot, keep saved it, and Sasha got a tap in. So yeah, my my strike rate for the Socceroos is uh, two games, one goal, and one assist. So. Yeah, some would say I've got a better strike rate than Tim Cahill, um, which is which is quite good. I love that. Um, it wasn't until after the game, to be honest. Uh, I was talking to to Mike Cockrell, um, doing an interview, and and he told me at the time that I was the first Indigenous player to score for the Socceroos. So, you know, the that is is just something that can't be rewritten. Um, it's it's something that is mine. Uh, and mine alone. So it's a hugely proud moment for me. Uh, and you know, when I think you know, many, many years after that event, um, you know, the fact that only two more Indigenous players have represented the Socceroos since I played um, is is a really sad and disappointing thing to have happened um and i guess that's that's for a whole new conversation in in you know getting more indigenous kids playing the game yeah because it seems a lot of of indigenous kids are more sort of into their the afl and nrl there's not a lot that play football yeah that's it i mean even basketball as well to an extent um but yeah that's that's a, a really big project that is going to take significant time and money to you know, to persist with over a number of years to to start reaping some rewards. Um, uh, one day in the very near future, um, the, the Federation recognises that as, as a real priority because 
uh, unfortunately, in the past. It, it's just been something that um, is on their radar for, for a small amount of time and, and just never gets the, I guess, the, the full attention that it deserves. Yeah, I would agree with that, definitely. Just as we are now about to close up, I've just got three last questions for you and I always ask these questions in one sentence. In your entire career, any club, any league, who is the best player you've ever played with and why? Who is the best player you ever played against and why? And lastly, who is the best coach you ever played under and why? Uh, okay, so the best player that I played with, um, I'd say Marcos Flores, to be honest, uh, and and it's a selfish reason. Um, it's because I think he brought out the best in me as a player as well. Uh, you know, we had such a good relationship and understanding on the field that he made me look like a, a good player. Um, uh, and it was it was great to be uh, around him and that kind of stuff. Uh, but you know, there are a lot of other players. You know, Liam Miller, um, you know, Perth Glory, who was fantastic player, played at Celtic, played at Manchester United, um, had a had a very good career. Um, Best player that I played against, um, you know, I, I think I would say in terms of a, a profile, um, yeah, definitely Rivaldo. Um, whilst he, again, another player that was uh, at the peak of his playing powers at the time, um, you know, to be able to be in a, in a, against a, a team on the same park as him to come up against somebody that's done what he's done um yeah that's that's a massive thing for me um but also you know players like like del piero um thomas Broish, i think they were two outstanding players that that were part of the a-league and that i had the opportunity to to play against over the years um best coach that i've that i had over the years um you know i, I think you know Coaches, they all bring different things um, over over the years. Um, Alistair Edwards in Perth, I think, from for me was a coach that he put on you know really good sessions, right? really tactical um, sessions that you know, helped the players become better players. Uh, and it was, I guess, you get you get that with all coaches, but I don't know. There was just an emphasis on it with with Alistair that that. Yeah, he could really get that across the players. And I guess the ironic thing to that is that um, I never really trained under him because I was doing my rehab with my knee um, in Perth. But, uh, you know, maybe I had a different perspective at that time, being on the sidelines and, and really observing that in more detail and, and just seeing how, uh, I guess, um, detailed he was in terms of his sessions. Very well answered. Travis, I just want to say thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. It was awesome to have a chat. And from one Salisbury Park boy to another, I wish you all the very best in everything you're doing now out of football. Thank you very much no for your time. No worries. Dad, you're welcome. Cheers, Dad. And that's a wrap. Thank you to everyone for tuning into A5Q. Don't forget to spread the word, subscribe, leave a rating. Until next time, old sport.